This is Art House Roadshow, a podcast on film, faith, and mental health with your hosts, Kyle Myers and Hank Spaulding. You're listening to an Art House Roadshow movie review. And welcome back to another episode of the Art House Roadshow. Uh, my name is Hank. I'm here flying solo today. Uh, really sorry for our kind of radio silence recently. Um, I ran into a lot of things I had to do towards the end of the school year, as you know, and have heard many times if you're a listener of the podcast. Um, Kyle and I both work um, at a small school in Ohio, uh, and towards the end of the semester, things got really crazy. I also moved during that period of time uh, and was unable to finish those movies. So we'll be back um, uh, in August or September with the podcast full-time to um, do the Body Snatchers episode that we promised. Um, And I'm really sorry (laughs) about our delay on that, but we will get back to that. Uh, But we'll be taking a break uh, as a duo for the summer um, uh, with maybe some exceptions. I don't know. Stay tuned. But uh, right now, don't plan on any kind of like um, uh, like pairings of us uh, over the summer. But again, if we do something, we'll put it on the on our social media and we'll drop it here on the podcast. And so maybe we will. But normally we take a break for the summer Um, anyway. Um, so today will be uh, kind of some of the final musings of, of our podcast for the year, uh, just some final thoughts and reflections, but um, we will, uh, I will have some reviews that I'll drop. I'll drop this one on the Spider-Man um, Spider-Verse movie, along with The Flash that just came out, uh, in addition to the uh, my thoughts on the end of the Guardians of the Galaxy trilogy, and one movie that is kind of low on people's radars that I think you should uh, go out of your way to see, uh, which I think is a beautiful film, uh, namely Good Person. So you'll see those podcasts all dropping today. So you're getting lots of content after uh, a very uh, long, dry spell. But anyway, let's uh, dive into today's topic. So this podcast uh, will be covering um, Into the Spider- or Across the Spider-Verse, which is the sequel to Into the Spider-Verse, which follows the young heroine... um, uh, young hero and heroine, I guess I should say, Miles Morales and Gwen Stacy as they uh, travel across the Spider-Verse and uh, work through trying to save all of the uh, the multiverse from uh, various threats and things of that nature. Um, We'll also be covering The Flash, which just came out this past Friday, uh, June 16th, um, was the Thursday premiere, and then uh, June 16th was when it came out officially, but it was also available uh, the prior day on June uh, 16th, uh, 15th, uh, which is a Thursday. So anyway, we'll be covering both. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about the controversy surrounding the movie, uh, some of the things in it. Just a reminder, um, this will be spoiler heavy. Um, so if you have not seen either Across the Spider-Verse or The Flash, uh, you might want to uh, tune out for now, um, and we'll go through it then. So anyway... Uh, let's dive right in. Um, one of the things, and this is over both movies, that you see um, kind of with this recent um, onslaught of multiversal movies is a strong and heavy reliance on nostalgia. Now, I'm not entirely against nostalgia. I think it could be um, really helpful and done well um, in certain cases. So, for example, like in 2021, uh, my favorite movie of that year was No Way Home. 
by Spider-Man, uh, a Spider-Man movie where we got to see not only Tom Holland, but um, Andrew Garfield and uh, Tobey Maguire all share the same space. They've been the three main live-action portrayals of Spider-Man um, within uh, my lifetime, uh, which was really cool to see all of them operate the same space and do um, the kind of action sequence and all the ways in which they kind of redeemed each of those characters and allowed them to kind of have like a, a final like, okay, farewell. So uh, anyway, uh, that's been a criticism of uh, the the MCU, at least, multiversal movies though, if you've paid attention to some of that, is that largely that movie relies on nostalgia. I think it does it well, but nonetheless there is a heavy dose of nostalgia with it. Um, if you look at like the next multiversal movie, which is uh, Doctor Strange, um, that one relies uh, on some nostalgia too. With uh, you know, for example, Patrick Stewart playing Charles Xavier, um, who he has played uh, Charles Xavier in the X Men franchise for quite a while. Um, those kind of things. Now, uh, I will say, and DC is starting to do this too, uh, with the casting of Michael Keaton back in the role of Batman that they rely heavy on nostalgia as well. And I'll go ahead and say this on the front end. I think Michael Keaton and the Flash movie uh, is the best part of that film. Um, and I think that's uh, pretty apparent if you watch it. Um, and, and there's a lot of reasons for that, I think. Um, and I'll, I'll get into that when I get into the Flash portion of the review. But... The thing I will say is that with nostalgia aside, I think Across the Spider-Verse finds a way to have a good movie about the multiverse that actually doesn't rely on nostalgia. There are a few examples of where they pull from other Spider-Man properties. So, for example, um, they use uh, the, um, they use, for example, a couple clips from The Amazing Spider-Man and then also the Sam Raimi Spider-Man. Um, in their kind of explaining of canon events, um, which I think is a very helpful term. Um, and, but, like, you know, the movie would still stand on its own merit if they had not included that portion of it. Um, there's also nods to the very popular Spider-Man video game, um, and I think also uh, a couple other really helpful tools, uh, or really helpful pieces from other kind of Spider-Men that we've read about in comics or things of that nature. But, like I said, all those things aside, I think the movie would stand on its own. It introduces a lot more new characters than um, nostalgic characters. So, for example, we get uh, Ben Riley, voiceover by Adam Sandler, um, which is, or Andy, Sa yeah, Andy Sandberg, sorry, not Adam Sandler. <laughs> um, there's a movie where the two of them are uh, father-son duo, but anyway, Andy Sandberg, um, which is really good. Um, uh, and then, obviously, I really um, enjoy Gwen Stacy and P Peter B. Parker, who play um, a significant part in this film. Um, we meet a lot of really cool um, uh, spider people. Um, everything from the T-Rex Spider-Man to a Lego Spider-Man. And so it's pretty incredible, kind of all the different um, things that, uh, uh, like, different spider people that they kind of pull into it. Um, now, granted... Um, this movie largely is about Oscar Isaac's Miguel O'Hara, who plays the Spider-Man 2099, um, and he, I think he does a great job. Uh, recently, I've read that he's kind of the first um, actor to play three different Marvel characters, because he's played now Miguel O'Hara in two movies. He came at the tail end of the Spider-Verse movies, 
Um, he played uh, Moon Knight on um, Disney Plus, which everyone, um, which I, I really liked that film. Um, and then also uh, he played um, Apocalypse in the X Men franchise. And so, um, incredible actor. I think he brings a lot of stuff to the roles, but whatever. Um, I, I, you know, people can disagree with me and then that's fine. But this movie doesn't require the nostalgia. They introduce more new characters to get you invested in them pretty early on. You know, the introduction of Spider-Gwen, I think, has been one of the major successes of this franchise. Getting you to care about her um, in, I think, a really powerful, helpful way. And I'm still holding out that they will do um, The Amazing Spider-Man 3 with the return of Emma Stone, maybe as Spider-Gwen, um, or somehow reintroduce her in there, even if they just do The Amazing Spider-Man 3. Um, and introduce his MJ, which is in the original Amazing Spider-Man trilogy, supposed to be uh, um, is supposed to be Shailene Woodley. It was supposed to be the original um, Mary Jane Watson. Um, anyway, still hoping that the Spider-Man in the Venom verse will be um, either Sam Raimi's Spider-Man or um, or the Amazing Spider-Man played by Andrew Garfield. I'm I'm hoping for the Andrew Garfield one. Um, because I think the Sam Raimi one already had a Venom, right? And so it wouldn't make sense for this Venom to be a part of that. And again, I'd still just like to see more Andrew Garfield as Spider-Man, um, back. And if you want to hear more about why, you can listen to those reviews from there. So anyway, just a brief kind of overview of the review. We pick up basically right where we left off with, um, Miles. Um, he is Spider-Man now. He is fighting crime. He fights this one character, um... Uh, who's voiced over by Jason Schwartzman, called The Spot, uh, whom we find out he created in the moment when um, uh, Miles threw the bagel back at the... Uh, um, if you remember the chase scene outside of the... Oh, man, I'm forgetting the name of the 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 place, the site, like the lab that they run from after they grab Doc Ock's computer. Um, Anyway, um, he hits him with a bagel and he creates the spot, which is the villain, and ultimately, like, that's how they get access to the multiverse, and the spot becomes more powerful, and he'll be, it seems like, the villain for the final one, which is beyond the Spider-Verse. Anyway, um, he's struggling, still struggling with his parents, which uh, is an interesting choice, um, and he's uh, confronted by uh, Gwen Stacy pretty early on, who herself, we find from early earlier in the movie, has left her own dimension and become a part of the um, spider-like society, for lack of a better term, where uh, it's a group of interdimensional spider-men who and women who uh, fight um, to save the, the multiverse. And she's recruited directly by Miguel O'Hara. Um, we find out during that period of time, too, that um, the events of Into the Spider-Verse actually caused uh, an instability across the multiverse, which is really interesting, and he's taken, he being Miguel O'Hara, taking it upon himself to kind of fix it. Um, you also get a quick uh, mention of the Doctor Strange incident um, from Earth 1999, or, or 1999, um, and I think that that's um, interesting. Like, a lot of people thought that the MCU was 616. They say as much as uh, in, they say as much both in the Thor, um, the Dark World, and in uh, the Multiverse of Madness, um, which has been a Feige thing, but this uh, has been now claimed that it's, you know, 1999, um, which would make sense because 616 is, 616 is supposed to be the comic universe, and there's a lot of differences between that universe and the MCU. So, anyway, 
Um, that's all good. He fights the spot. The spot kind of gets discouraged, and that's what leads him into the multiverse and ultimately leads uh, Miles Morales into the multiverse as well. You find out throughout the movie that actually um, the point of the Spider Society is to reduce anomalies. They go into different places um, across the multiverse. Um, so, for example, like a vulture from uh, one universe will go into Gwen Stacy's universe, and she has to kind of stop him and, and send him back to his own universe, right? And so you find out that actually Miles Morales is the original anomaly. And so he, he's been kind of shut out from the Spider Society, and everyone knows but him. Which is fascinating, and it's obviously really isolating for him, and it causes him to distrust Miguel O'Hara and anybody in the Spider Society because, um, you know, he's been kept in the dark for so long. There's this really awkward scene where Gwen, well, we find out that Gwen, when she goes to visit Miles Morales, is not supposed to do that. Instead, she's supposed to kind of keep her eyes on the spot, and ultimately, you know, her care and desire to be around Miles My Morales leads her to neglect her duties and he gets away and you know becomes more powerful and so the spider society is also against her now granted um the thing that's fascinating about spider-man always is this kind of um troubled relationship that not only spider-man has with like parents or aunts and uncles but also just with like love interests you know gwen stacy um uh and uh, MJ, uh, but also, I mean, with from Gwen Stacy's perspective, like she says very clearly in there, it's like across the Spider-Verse, every single Gwen Stacy that's fallen in love with Spider-Man has died. And, you know, that goes directly back to, you know, The Amazing Spider-Man, where she, um, uh, Gwen Stacy passes there. Um, the Gwen Stacy from the Raimi universe is still alive by the time we leave her. But in the comics, um, Gwen Stacy also dies Um and comes back as Spider-Gwen, and um, uh, or she dies in the original kind of comic setting. Um, but, you know, in, in Gwen Stacy's universe, she actually gets to be the spider person, for lack of a better term. Um, anyway, uh, fascinating stuff there, and I think it's, it's just, it's really clever storytelling. Uh, because if you remember, um, the thing that they kind of hint at, but don't really, um, don't really, like, fully tell you in the first end of the Spider-Verse is that the spider that bites Morales is from a different dimension. It's actually, um, when he goes to find it after he kind of gets his spider powers, for lack of a better term, um, it glitches. And the only other people that glitch in that movie are the people who are from other universes. Come to find out that the collider that Kingpin was building, along with Dr. Octopus, um, ultimately brought the spider here. We find that out actually fully. Um, Alchemist, that's the name of the place. <laughs> Sorry, I just remember the lab. So the uh, as uh, Miles Morales is escaping with Peter B. Parker, Alchemist, he throws a bagel back, hits a guy, turns out to be the guy who eventually becomes the spot. Um, anyway, uh, so Alchemist was, when they were running tests in the collider, they brought a spider, like a, a chemical, uh, not chemically, but a... Um, a um, enhanced spider that was ultimately supposed to bite the Spider-Man from another universe, Universe 42, I think, um, uh, it was, or that was Spider 42, for lack of a better term. Um, and instead, it came to uh, Miles Morales's universe, the one of the movie, and it bites him instead. And as a result, he finds Spider-Man of his universe, the Peter Parker of his universe, and by becoming a distraction to that Peter Parker, ultimately ends up in his death, which Miguel O'Hara actually blames directly on um, Miles Morales. 
uh, which is, you know, it's rough. <laughs> but, I mean, the point being is that that's, that's what makes him an anomaly. He was not supposed to be bitten. There was not supposed to be two Spider-Men in that universe. And so, um, what not only did it cause the death of his Peter Parker, but it actually left another universe without a Spider-Man. And that's a really big deal. And that comes back in later um, in the movie. Um, again, it's a really well done story, um, and I won't tell all of it because I know that like I want some of you to experience it. The chase scene alone, when Miles is trying to get away from all of the different Spider People, is just brilliant um, in a lot of different ways. It's action packed. It's funny. It's clever. All different kinds of things. And so um, I won't uh, I won't spoil for lack of a better term. I won't spoil that for you. But nonetheless, uh, nonetheless, uh, long story short, uh, they send uh, Miles Morales back to his universe. But the problem is, is that the device that they use to send anomalies back to where they came from scans his DNA and scans the universe from which the spider came from. And so it sends Miles Morales to um, the universe without a Spider-Man, the Spider-Man. And so in that universe, we find out that his father has died. Um, which is a canon event, which we'll talk about here in a second. I'm intentionally skipping over that stuff because I want to connect that to The Flash. Um, and that's where we kind of leave off, and Gwen Stacy goes into that universe and brings um, uh, Peter B. Parker and all of the uh, people from the first movie um, along. I, I think that I think that's it. I don't know if there's any extra. I actually forget. It's been a, bit, it's been a minute. To try and rescue Miles from that universe and hopefully... Um, help him finish his mission, which we'll talk about here in a second. Again, really good movie. I cannot recommend it highly enough. I think it actually does multiversal stuff without having to use nostalgia. Again, it's there, but it's more as like an ornament than really driving the story, as in the uh, uses of the um, multiverse up until this point. Uh, it's a very, it's a complicated, nuanced story, so you know it requires some attention. However, um, I think it's worth your while. Now. Um, I, I want to briefly just uh, go over the plot to The Flash, and then I want to talk about some connection points and ultimately um, where I think this is leading each franchise. Um, so The Flash is a much simpler plot. Um, as you guys know, if you are familiar at all with the Flashpoint comic um, series or um, run, you'll know that there is a story where The Flash goes back in time to save his mom, and in so doing... Um, actually changes time. Um, in the comics, you know, it, it actually changes quite a bit. Um, for example, like, Superman is never found. Instead, he's a prisoner of Russians. Um, and spy instead of uh, the Joker, or sorry, instead of uh, Bruce Wayne's parents getting shot and killed um, in that alley, it's Bruce Wayne. And so Bruce Wayne's dad becomes Batman, and his wife becomes the Joker. Wonder Woman and Aquaman uh, leading Atlantis and the Amazons are actually at war with one another. Um, and so there's quite a bit of, of change that happens in the comics. They don't go as far um, with that in the movie, The Flash, and they're, so they're not trying to do a true Flashpoint. But, I mean, the premise is the same. Um, the Flash decides to travel back in time, uh, which is interesting because if you know anything about the DCU as it is currently being sunset, um, the... Snyderverse, or the Snyder, um, sorry, the Snyder Justice League actually did have the Flash run back in time and reset so where they would have an opportunity to actually beat Steppenwolf. Um, 
and because the first time they do it they don't they they don't succeed and they all die and so he runs really fast and he actually goes back in time and so that's how he discovers he can run that fast um however that's not canon the joss whedon justice league is canon um and so without that you know we have this weird situation where like barry knows that he can run back in time fast enough to where he um can break you know uh, speed of light, speed of sound, and, like, actually go back in time to actually uh, rescue his mom. He does that um, uh, for how fast he's running during, like, one particular scene, and so they have to set it up that way. I think the Justice League, just incorporating that would have been better. Um, the best parts of this movie are actually the introduction of other characters. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about Ezra Miller, Ezra Miller here in a second. But, I mean, at the beginning here, you get to see the uh, Batfleck in action, uh, taking down a heist gone wrong of a chemical. Um, you also get to see Gal Gadot's Wonder Woman again, which, again, always good to see her. We actually saw her in Shazam 2, so I think they're trying to get as much out of her here towards the end um, uh, before they actually reboot the entire thing. I think it would be a mistake to go away from Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman, but that's just me. Um, I hope that they use her in the future DC movies. Um, I thought it was a mistake to get rid of Henry Cavill. There's no one that would be better to play Superman, even in a reboot. Um, so there's that, but, you know, those are my two cents. So anyway, the beginning of the movie has them, the Justice League, basically in the in the mix. Um, you get to see a little bit of Henry Cavill's Superman uh, working um, to stop a volcano in uh, a different part of the world. And you get to see Batman in action along with Wonder Woman, so... Um, it's really cool to kind of see those things, um, in this movie. Um, you get to also see Iris West, um, and a few other, um, characters from the universe, uh, the Flash universe, and ultimately he decides to run back in time, change something to get his mom not to be killed, because what happens is, is apparently somebody comes in and murders his mom, and, uh, while his dad is at the grocery store getting a can of tomatoes. And so he goes back in time to when his mom was grocery shopping and sneaks an extra can of tomatoes into her cart um, so that she doesn't have to ask her dad to go out. And then he's there whenever uh, the person shows up and, you know, scares him away. If you know anything about Flashpoint, actually Reverse Flash is the person who um, kills Barry's mom. So to create the Flash and create his, you know, arch rival and things like that. So... Uh, they get to depart a little bit from that. So he does that. Uh, the problem is, is that as he's running back um, to the future to kind of get back to his timeline, the thing that he does is he's knocked out of the timeline loop by um, an unknown assailant. I leaned over to my wife in the movie and said that's Godspeed, which if you know anything about The Flash, uh, the God's, Godspeed is one of the um, villains within the Flash or Zoom, um, I thought it was one of them. Uh, wasn't either of them. We'll talk about who it is in a minute. Uh, ultimately, um, he's knocked out of time, and he finds out that the actions of his getting his mom not murdered um, actually um, erases the Justice League. Uh, we actually don't know if Wonder Woman and Aquaman are in the new universe that he's have because he actually goes like he's knocked out of like the time loop contention. To before um, the events of the first Wonder, uh, the Wonder Woman reveal, um, and Aquaman reveal um, in timeline order. In fact, he actually goes back to Zod, which is Man of Steel timeline. 
uh, or like that's the the reveal of Superman is the first um, thing that kicks off the DCU all those years ago. Um, he actually knocks out, he gets knocked out of time at that point. Um, he had his powers back then, but he didn't know how to use them to help Zod. In some sense, like a lot of like the uncovering of the Justice League comes as a result to the Zod event when Superman is revealed. Um, but anyway, he gets knocked out right there um, as he gets his powers. Um, and when he's younger, um, this event, you know, going out into that time means that there are two Barry Allens because he's running back to his spot in the future. And ultimately when he gets knocked out of the time loop, he gets knocked into a time where there's two of him, um, which is, um, according to like quantum physics and, you know, theory of relativity and all that kind of good stuff, like impossible, but it's, you got to suspend your judgment here. Um, anyway, um, Moving right along, uh, this 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 movie is is interesting because it it actually like it worked. His mom is alive, but you actually don't get to see a lot of his mom and dad um, throughout this film. He uh, uh, ultimately like uh, spends most of the movie trying to a get himself his powers, and then b stop Zod. Um, he wants to use his powers accordingly. He has to get his powers back, but I won't get into that. He does, um, for lack of a better term. Um, and, uh, anyway, so when Zod shows up, you know, he's waiting for Superman to be revealed and, um, he's trying to quote unquote gather the team. Um, and when he's trying to find people, he's running into a lot of brick walls, but he's like, man, I just, you know, I need, I need Superman. I need Wonder Woman. I need, I need Cyborg. I need, um, you know, all that kind of good stuff. And, and he says, I, I just need Batman. And I guess Batman doesn't exist. And then somebody, you know, lets him know, actually, Batman does exist. And this is what leads him to Michael Keaton. Now, to pause briefly here, when I was a kid, Michael Keaton was the first Batman I ever saw. The, that 1989 Batman. Um, and it was, you know, dark and gritty. And Tim Burton did so good on this film um, that uh, I just, I fell in love with Batman. I had all the toys and, you know, it was it was fantastic. But... You know, um, uh, and seeing him again on the screen, because I know that if you know anything about the history of the Batman movies, Michael Keaton played in two Batman um, movies. He played in Batman and Batman Returns, uh, and there was a third plan, but they decided to cancel that and go with Joel, Joel Schumacher's idea of Batman Forever, which introduced Robin and brought in Val Kilmer to play Batman. Um, and then, you know, Joel Schumacher got a sequel to his film, which is Batman and Robin. And they replaced Schumacher with uh, Schumacher. They replaced Val Kilmer with George Clooney. Um, and Batman and Robin was seen as universally like the worst Batman movie that's ever been put into um, uh, been put into film. Um, and and Keaton was was kind of hurt by that. I think he he really liked playing Batman, and so not getting to kind of go out the way that he wanted to go out um, was really difficult. And so this film really offered a chance for him to, you know, put the cow back on and go out the way that he wanted to go out. And I feel like he did an incredible job and the, and the filmmakers did a great job, like working with his character, um, on this. And so as Barry shows up, you know, the Barry that is runs back in time, uh, loses his power as he tries to get his younger self, his powers. Um, and so you've got a one super speeding, Barry Allen, who doesn't know how to use his powers yet, and Barry Allen, who does know how to use his powers, but doesn't have them. 
And so, um, in this, in a fascinating kind of turn of events, um, they, they show up at the, the mansion and they are looking around for Bruce Wayne and Bruce Wayne, Michael Keaton is this kind of old, um, like hermit who lives in the, uh, uh, the Wayne Manor. Um, and it's the Wayne Manor from the original 1989 Batman. You see the servant bells and everything sitting in there and you know he actually thinks that these two are assailants and he tries to attack them and he he manages in like badly hurting um the barry allen without powers but can't touch the flash and so the the one with powers basically um and ultimately like they have a conversation this batman kind of explains what barry did um he didn't create a new timeline he actually he didn't create uh, a different timeline for himself he just created a branch reality um, and ultimately, um, did not do what he thought he would do. We find out that Gotham, the Gotham that we see in the Burton verse is now one of the safest cities, um, on the planet. Um, so Batman actually succeeded in kind of like wiping crime out of Gotham, which is a nice kind of happy ending, but his kind of sailing off into the sunset, you know, he's just alone in Wayne Manor and it's kind of, um, it's kind of sad. And ultimately Barry uh, is trying to find Superman because he needs to find Superman to help him get to Zod, uh, which I don't know why, like at that point he does this. I feel like this is a little bit of inconsistently. See, like he sees that he's already met the new Bruce Wayne and realized that his interference with the timeline has messed up, like, and created a new branch reality and more tinkering with it would create this kind of spaghetti mess. Right. Um, and he's, I think he's wanting to save that timeline, but if he knows anything about the Superman origin story, and I think he knows enough because he knows that he was in Kansas when this happened, his name is was Clark Kent, that Superman kind of just comes out and faces Zod on his own. Like, the Flash was not there. And so any further meddling, I think, would, I mean, implicitly lead to a bigger mess. And so I don't know why he decides to kind of further complicate the situation. Um... It's more of a MacGuffin to lead to the point of Batman agreeing to help them find Superman. Ultimately, they find this Russian dark site, which is directly from Flashpoint, uh, where Superman is being kept. Um, and this is where you get to see the moment where he puts the cow, he be Michael Keaton, puts the cow back on. Um, they go in the Batwing. I think one of the big crimes of this film is that we don't see Keaton in his Batmobile. We see the Batmobile, and you see even the little laughing bag that um, is on the body of Jack Nicholson's Joker at the end of the first Batman film. Um, but we don't see him in that Batmobile, which I think is a crime. And I think they could have easily done it just in the same way that they did um, introducing the Batmobile in um, introducing the Batmobile in the Justice League. You know, he's in the Batwing for a while and then ultimately f jumps out into the Batmobile once it goes down. But anyway, I didn't direct this movie, nor did I write it. So anyway, um, he goes and helps them. You get to see some awesome action sequences with the Michael Keaton Batman um, and like him fighting Russians, which is just in incredible. Um, and they go to rescue Superman, find out it's not Superman, it's Supergirl. It's Kara Zor-El, which if you're familiar with the Supergirl um, TV show, you'll know Kara Zor-El very well. I take her back, she, uh, and I mean, rightfully so, has some ill feelings towards humanity and wants to join Zod and the other Kryptonians, but in a reason unbeknownst to us, um, she doesn't join Zod, basically, you know, says that he does not act with hope, 
Um, if she would have known anything about the destruction of Krypton, she would have known that Zod shouldn't be trusted um, already. She was, just like in canon, sent after Clark to protect him, but ultimately in the comics, she arrived several years after he had already become Superman and doesn't need protection. Anyway, long story short, um, they decide to team up uh, the two Flashes, Supergirl and Batman, to fight Zod. You get some cool sequences of the Batwing, the you know, the straight one out of the 1989 movie, um, fighting the Zod ships, which is just such a cool multiversal moment. Like again, there's some nostalgia there. I think this movie is more driven by nostalgia, specifically the nostalgia for Michael Keaton. Um, anything him taking out Zod ships. I mean, how cool is that? Like uh, with the Batwing. Um, in the battle, though, um, Kara dies, Kara dies, and so does, uh, Michael Keaton's Batman. And so the two berries decide to run back in time and change stuff, and they do, um, keeping, and they keep them alive a little longer, but they still ultimately die. Um, Batman, Michael Keaton's Batman, in the first go-around, tries to shoot down Zod's ship, but it's covered by a shield, um, and so they shoot his Batwing down instead, um, because he can't eject. Um, in the second rendering, he goes after the, you know, the giant character from Man of Steel, um, and he can't take him down with, like, bullets or missiles from the Batwing, and so the, that creature, you know, jumps onto the Batwing and, and knocks Batman out of it, which is from the trailer, and Batman kind of lands on him and plants a bunch of bombs on him, uh, seemingly killing him, um, before the guy really stomp, like, he basically throws Batman down really hard, um, and, you know, Batman is just a guy, he's not, doesn't have superpower or super strength, and he's quite a bit older, and so, like, we, we're left to believe, you know, kills him through just blunt force trauma, um, and this is where the Barry Allen, who is the main character of this film, not the one that, uh, he goes back in time to create, um, realizes that this is what's called, um, like, a converging event. Like, he cannot save Batman. He cannot save Kara Zor-El. And so in the events of this particular timeline, Zod actually wipes out um, the uh, this Earth um, and actually creates a new Krypton uh, without... Um, so anyway, um, but the Barry, the new Barry, the Barry that's been created... Um, whom it's, it's really funny. He's running around in basically an old bat suit, uh, that's been painted red and everything like that. Barry refuses to accept this and keeps going back in time and trying to change everything. And then you find out that the person that I thought was Godspeed or Zoom at the, from the beginning that knocked Barry out of the timeline into the past is actually this version of Barry. Um, and he has been going back for thousands of years trying to, um, keep Kara and Batman from dying, uh, and the destruction of his world, for that matter. Um, and the new Barry, or the Barry that is the, and this is all very confusing, the Flash of the Justice League versus this, like, old, beat-up Flash. Um, like, he is now trying to fight to prevent that thing from happening. And the only way, the only way that he can actually stop him from existing is to go back in time and recreate the event that leads to his mom's death. Because only when that happens um, does the timeline reset itself um, and ultimately um, not cause the events that lead to the creation of the Keaton timeline um, or the creation of this particular uh, Barry Allen. Because if he um, prevents, right, 
his mother from, uh, you know, being saved, then ultimately he, um, he can reset the timeline. Now, granted, here's the issue. I think there's a bit of an inconsistency. At worst, it's, it's unclear. So he goes back in time, saves his mom, and he, and he ultimately then uh, is knocked out of the timeline to create this second Barry that's going to become like this um, timeline monster. However, um, if uh, like the events of his mom's death doesn't really have an impact on the creation of this Barry Allen. Um, and so this Barry Allen that keeps going back in time to try and stop these events, I mean, um, if that timeline is still intact in any form... Um, as a result of the actions of the Flash, then it all inevitably will be destroyed, um, which is interesting. And I mean, granted, that's also another con- conundrum. If ultimately, like Zod wins, um, then Barry would have not been able to ride, run back to his present um, at all. And so there's a little bit of muddiness there, like on how that all works um, and how this kind of tampering with the timeline to try and reset it would actually solve anything. Um, it's, it's at least a little unclear. I mean, they don't, they can't dialogue through every point, but, um, it, uh, at least there's a little bit of lack of clarity there. Um, ultimately it does work. One of the interesting points when they're all in the kind of like, um, I don't know what the, the past state, you see the different worlds converging. And if this Barry keeps going back and trying to save the one event, stop the one event, it's ultimately going to lead to the destruction of the multiverse, and you get to actually see into some multiversal movies. Um, the first of what, or, and shows, like, so the first multiversal movie is the original Superman TV show, where Clark Kent is, bl- Clark Kent is blonde. Uh, then you see um, uh, the Superman movies from the 80s and 90s uh, with Christopher Reeves. You even get to see uh, the Supergirl from that era of TV. Um, you see the Adam West version of Batman. And then one of the cooler kind of Easter eggs they show um, is the Nicolas Cage Superman, which if you guys are deep into the the know of Superman movies, is that there's a canceled Kevin Smith, um, Nicolas Cage Superman movie called Superman Lives, where the universe would have been much darker um, and his, uh, Nicolas Cage Superman would have been much, um, more brutal and things of that nature. So you see a glimpse of that. Um, you don't see any, you see the Justice League from the DCU universe, um, and a few spaces, like you see a CGI, um, Henry Cavill in that scene where they bring him back to life in the Justice League. You see, obviously, Gal Gadot, you see Aquaman in the post credit scenes, um, Jason Momoa, things of those nature, but... Anyway, um, so you see a bit of that. One thing I was disappointed is that during that scene, you didn't see the Arrowverse. I think that would have been a good nod there. Uh, the Arrowverse did its own multiversal um, thing in the Crisis on Infinite Earths, which you actually do see Ezra Miller's Flash showing up uh, with Grant Gustin. Um, so, again, interesting that they didn't choose them. And, and some would argue that the multiversal stuff done by um, the Arrowverse or some of the, even just the uh, the themes and the the content of the Arrowverse have been much better than the DCU, and uh, there's been some stuff online about the creator of the Arrowverse being a little upset, you know, that this is ultimately how it went down. Um, anyway, um, so it was it was pretty good. He runs back to the present. Um, he actually finds a way, like, and again, this doesn't make sense because it seems like it would, um, seems like it would not 
help, but he basically creates an incident where his dad doesn't at least get blamed for, or, or an incident to let his dad be set out of prison for um, killing his mom, because that's what happens in the comics, is his dad is put in jail for killing his mom, but, you know, we find out here that he doesn't. The big change that happens, though, is when he corrects everything, um, it's still the erasure of Batfleck, and it's not the, um, it's not the, um, in his timeline, the continuance of even the Keaton Batman, and the, the guy you see at the end who is Batman is George Clooney, which I think is hilarious. In the theater I was in, there was verbal laughing and gasping at that, um, that they chose to do that. If you, uh, the first set footage, which is fascinating to me because this was changed then, the first set footage is Michael Keaton getting out of the same car, and if you look at the, the shot, it looks very much like Michael Keaton coming through the crowd. But if you, uh, so if you look at the original set photos, the first ones that leaked of uh, Michael Keaton online, um, he's getting out of this very fancy car, walking to Grant Gustin, and Cara Zor-El is with him. So they canceled that, and they put George Clooney in instead, um, which my guess is that this has to do with the end of the multiverse. Um, because as you know, they were planning on doing a Batgirl movie um, with uh, Michael Keaton as Batman. Um, and so they, um, you know, I think that Michael Keaton's Batman was supposed to be the Batman going forward, um, at least until Michael Keaton didn't want to do it anymore. He's a little bit older, but it seemed, he seemed really excited about doing it. So I'm, I'm sure that that would have helped. Uh, my wife was hoping that it would be Robert Pattinson, but, um, I don't think we're going to see Robert Pattinson's Batman in any kind of like universe where super people and metahumans exist. Anyway, um, so they put George Clooney in there as kind of like a gag and a laugh to show that like he has actually changed um, things. And um, it looks like not only the end of the of Batfleck as we know it, um, but this is ultimately a part of the kind of closing down of the DCEU um, and getting ready for the reboot. So um, interesting choice. The post-credit scene is pretty innocuous. I wouldn't really even stay for it if you have to go to the bathroom or want to get going, but... Anyway, so a couple things comparing these two, both multiversal movies, uh, both dealing with like certain themes uh, relating to um, what they'll call in Into the Spider-Verse canon events, like essential things that have to happen in order to create like a Batman or a Spider-Man and things like that. Um, but also just like, uh, like what creates, like what is ultimately what makes a good movie, what makes a good multiverse movie. And then I'll say some things about Ezra Miller. Um, and ultimately why I went to go see this movie. Um, anyway, so, um, first of all, canon events. I think they've established this, and I think it's a, it's actually a really helpful tool um, to think through particular parts of the story. So, in, in Across the Spider-Verse, um, one of the things that happens is that they, they show that, like, the death of the uncle is always uh, the creation of Spider-Man. So, like, this is usually Uncle Ben, um or aunt or uncle, um, in the MCU, it's unclear if uncle Ben, um, is something that happened. Like we never saw the creation event of Tom Holland's Spider-Man. They, they forego, they, they forwent that. And that's fine. I actually think that I applaud them for that. Um, a lot of people didn't like it because it kind of like what we, when we see Spider-Man the first time, um, he is met by Tony Stark and then immediately given a whole upgrade. I mean, they even say that in the scene where it happens. I don't mind it as much. I think it's actually pretty cool. And they're kind of going back to a place now where 
Spider-Man is um, creates his own. Um, like he's poor. He creates his own suits and things like that, and he doesn't use Stark tech anymore. Um, so anyway, um, I didn't I didn't mind that. But anyway, um, it looks like for MCU's Tom Holland though his creation event is the events of No Way Home. It's the death of his aunt instead of his uncle. Um, you know, he loses the Gwen Stacy, but not to death, but to forgetting him, all that kind of good stuff. Um, but like across the Spider-Man, I mean, think about Spider-Man movies, Uncle Ben always dies, um, with great power comes great responsibility. Um, they also highlight the death of a captain really close to the character, like a police captain, um, for, for example, the amazing Spider-Man, uh, and they actually, this is where Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man shows up. It's, you know, the death of Gwen Stacy's dad. Um, and, however, uh, for uh, Miles Morales, the closest police captain to him is his father. Um, and so he finds out while he's in the um, Spider um, Society headquarters that he's going to have to let his dad die. Uh, because he keeps having these, like, random flashes. There's this really great scene where um, they follow, they being Miles Morales, um and Gwen Stacy follow um, the spot to a universe um, that is uh, where sp the Spider-Man is Indian. Um, and that Spider-Man is played um, by... I'm pulling that up now. Um, he's played by uh, Karen Sony and Pavrik um, Prakbar. Um, I butchered that name and I really apologize about that, but, um, it's basically, um, a Spider-Man that is, uh, more, um, culturally distinct as an, a person of the, of an Indian ancestry. And it's actually really fascinating to kind of see, um, like the different kind of, um, ways in which that Spider-Man acts, his movements. I mean, you see all that's the cool thing about all these spider people that are introduced is that they're all unique. They all have like particular um, nuances. They all have particular skill sets and gifts and things of that nature. Um, and when they go there, um, there's this scene where um, the this uh, Peter Parker, um, who is this uh, Spider-Man to this local universe, um, is supposed to watch his girlfriend's dad, who's a police captain, much like the Gwen Stacy story arc in The Amazing Spider-Man, die. But Mariah, Morales actually stops him from dying and saves him. And ultimately destroys a canon event, which causes this huge rupture in the multiverse. And so we learn about canon events. Canon events are these events in Spider-Man's history, and we can say this too when we get to the Flash, that can't be broken. The death of the uncle, the death of the police captain, um, the biting, you know, the getting the powers through being, like, uh, through a spider of some kind. Um, all different kinds of stuff like that. Um are canon events and you can't change those or the the multiverse will just be destroyed same way like when the second flash is trying to um is trying to save michael keaton's batman and Kara Zor-El, that is a for lack of a better term a canon event um, they call it in the in the flash movies like a, a merging point a point of intersection like batman always has an alfred batman always loses somebody um barry allen always loses his mom you know that's part of it and so the destruction of the multiverse um, is only fended off by these canon events being uh, left intact. Um, and ultimately kind of tries to tie the loop back on situations like in a place where time travel and multiversal travel exists, 
why can't um why can't spider-man live with uncle ben you know like that kind of stuff i mean the first person to discover it is actually miguel o'hare himself when he tries to go to um a different universe because he loses his uh like he's alone and so he wants to go to a universe where he can uh, be with a family then and other universes uh, the miguel o'hare actually has a family uh, a wife and a kid and so he goes to the universe and actually by disrupting that canon event for him actually leads to that uh universe's destruction this is ultimately why miles morales is such a threat to the multiverse it's because he is a walking anomaly he was not supposed to receive that spider. He was not receive that spider bite and creates an anomaly whereby his Spider-Man dies and now he has to assume that role. And that is really um, interesting because Spider-Man, and this is what Miles Morales says, like, I'm going to do my own thing. And so he, he's going back to his, uh, his uh, home to stop the death of his father because he's the police captain, you find out. The during the scene when he's saving the other Peter Parker's girlfriend's police captain, he keeps seeing his dad um, dying instead of that captain. And so um, you find out that that's because he's actually seeing into the future a bit to the death of his father. And so he's desperately trying to get back there to save his father's life. He ends up in the wrong universe where his father's already dead, and his uncle's not the Prowler, but the version of Miles Morales that is in that universe is actually the Prowler. Um, and so it's very interesting to see this idea of canon events be um, put on the display as such an essential piece to the the multiverse. I think it means a lot, not just for the Spider-Verse movies, but also for where they're going to be going with the MCU. Because now you've got two different kind of like competing forces, the Spider-Society and ultimately the Avengers that are going to be fighting to protect the multiverse. And so um, I think what this does is it sets up certain brackets on things they can't change um, as they're going into this. And I think MCU will hopefully adopt these rules because I think it helps. It's, it's helpful. Um, and yeah, um, I think that it'll be really powerful for The Flash, like with the multiversal timeline stuff, like um, this isn't really going to be going anywhere. We already know that the... The, they're going to play out the rest of the DCU movies and just, like, reboot. Um, I feel bad for some of the movies, like uh, Blue Beetle, which looked really good, um, that won't be going anywhere. Um, but, or even Shazam, Black, uh, Black Adam. Like, I really liked Black Adam. I know that there's been some controversy around it, but I thought it was really good. Um, I don't like what The Rock did, uh, if it's true, by harpooning <coughs> Shazam 2. Um... Or trying to make his character be, like, stronger than he was. Granted, I still liked it. I think that they could have done some stuff with Black Adam and um, Superman. But ultimately, you know, that's it's it's a mute point because nothing's nothing's gonna go anywhere with that. Um, right after Black Adam is when they announced the um, the end of it, the the DCU and moving into a, a new phase of DC movies, which will probably become like the new Marvel in terms of popularity because they will get to finally do it right. Um, anyway, um, but a little, I want to say a little bit about why I went to go see the flash. I know a lot of people would probably be against the idea of seeing the flash. Um, mostly because, uh, Ezra Miller as if he followed anything, uh, related to the flash, um, like he, um, he had a significant psychological break, 
um, after the events of him filming The Flash um, during kind of post-production. Um, you know, did a lot of really bad things. Um, and ultimately, you know, like, um, like for example, they're like, you know, f like physically assaulted some people, all that kind of good stuff. Robbed, got, I mean, robbed some people, defrauded some people, like really bad stuff. Again, I'm not excusing it at all. Um, but they decided to release this movie. They decided not to release Batgirl, but they decided to release this movie and they decided to cut Henry Cavill. A lot of people were upset because if anybody da deserves to have their movie canceled, it's Ezra Miller. Um, I went to go see this movie, and I'll, I'm, I'm just completely honest about this because I wanted to see Michael Keaton's Batman again. For me, it was such an important childhood thing, and nostalgia is, even if it should not be the center of a particular movie or the thing that drives it, I wanted to see him get his farewell, and I think that they handled him very well. You got to see him in action. There's this really powerful scene where um, he's kind of taking off like his bat suit, and there's like blood coming out of it because you know he'd just been shot at, and you know. Um, and done some things that like had got him injured. He's like sewing up his arm, Christian Bale style. Um, and he just kind of looks in the mirror and he sees himself and he kind of starts to smile because he's excited. Like he's back, like he's back as Batman. Like he remembers who he is. And you know, the point where Barry Allen looks at him and he says, I can't bring you back. Can I? And, um, Batman looks up at him and says, you already have, um, you know, I think at this point, like, if if that's the end of the Keaton Batman, I think he got a good farewell. I mean, he, he stood up and, to his knowledge, killed a Kryptonian just with his gadgets and uh, ingenuity. Like, it was pretty clever. I mean, he took out some Kryptonian ships, too. I mean, it was pretty good. Um, and so I think that that's, that's one thing that um, I wanted to see. I wanted to see him get to put the cow back on, uh, back on and go out his way. And I think he did get to do that without this future bat uh, girl movie coming um you know we i i don't know if we'll get to see him again i think that there's a lot of money and a lot of uh there'd be a lot of uh um i think potentially interesting um uh interesting stories to be told with that batman still um and i think that there's i mean they could do exactly what they've done with spider-man no way home and do a batverse film um they would have to do a lot of explaining with some certain Batman. Um, but nonetheless, I think that there'd be a lot of money in that. People would go to see it. I would, just for the nostalgia. you know. If, and if you want to go just for nostalgia, I don't think that's a bad thing. Um, I do not think that the, the actions of Ezra Miller were good, and nor worthy of uh, supporting him or what he's done in that. Um, and so, you know, I can understand if people uh, don't want to see this movie for that reason. I think it's completely justifiable. Uh, to not go see this movie to support that. Um, uh, but nonetheless, I, I do think that um, if you're interested in going to see um, Michael Keaton's Batman, you will not be disappointed. Um, granted, if uh, <laughs> if you listen to this podcast up until this point, uh, you'll know that um, exactly what happened, and so there's that. But anyway, uh, uh, Across the Spider-Verse is by far the superior movie here, so if you're going to watch one or the other, watch Across the Spider-Verse. Uh, but... Nonetheless, seeing Batfleck back, or not Batfleck, uh, seeing Michael Keaton's Batman back is incredible. So, anyway, interesting stuff here. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Um, if you had a different opinion, um, so on and so forth. Um, and I will uh, look forward to hearing your thoughts uh, uh, next time um, or in the comments section below. Um, if you want to support the podcast, uh, please do so by writing a review. It's the best place for people to find us. Uh, but you can always send us an email or contact us on social media. 
um, at Art House Road. Um, we are on Instagram and Twitter. Um, and so we'd love to hear from you and what you think of uh, the podcast, specifically even this, this one. So uh, if you like what you heard, we got lots of podcasts for you to listen to if you're a first-time listener. Um, but also if you're a continued listener, please check out our other podcasts uh, that just dropped today, uh, which are the Guardians of the Galaxy, um, Reflective, and it's with a specific emphasis on Guardians 3, and A Good Person, which is a good little film. Um, so anyway, we'll see you next time. We'll be back uh, in maybe sometime this summer, but if nothing else, in August or September with our uh, with Kyle and our reflections on the Body Snatchers. But until then, be well, stay safe, hope you all are well, and we'll see you here next time on the Art House Roadshow. And that's a wrap. Thank you for joining us on Art House Roadshow. We'll see you next time.